Hello, and thank you for joining us on this episode of The Denfos Way. My name is Jack Rouse, and I'll be your host today. I'm a former Navy journalist and a current training instructor here at Denfos. Joining me today from the DC video shoot-off is Maureen Stewart, who is one of the producers, and Master Sergeant Brad Sisson, who is an MCF training instructor. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks Appreciate for having it. us. If you could just tell me a little bit about what you do for the DC video shoot-off, that's how we're going to start. Um, sure. So I'm an Air Force veteran and have instructed at the schoolhouse multiple times. Um, my video is my past. Um, and what I get to do for the DC video shoot off is act in a producer role um, with several other folks that are also very passionate about video storytelling. So, so yeah, that's pretty much it. We, we put it together and make it happen. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that every year. We just, uh, we do things like find a venue, find sponsors, um, find mentors for the participants um, and find some really great staff to make sure that we're putting together a world-class event. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, more or less uh, for the video shoot off, I'm just a staff member. I try to help. Uh, it's my first year on staff. I have prior participant, prior mentor. Uh, sometimes I've just tuned in. Sometimes I've shown up just depending on where I'm uh, stationed at, uh, things like that. But I've been at least in or around or involved with the, the shoot off since probably 2011, 2012. Uh, but currently staff. So I try to pick up uh, whatever needs to happen. So I'm still trying to figure out what the people that have been organizing this for so long. I've been just trying to kind of learn over the last year. Um, but at the same time, and anytime they're like, hey, can you uh, cut a video promo for something? Or hey, can you make a call? Um, I'm just kind of there. Hey, happy to help. So for the uninitiated, can you guys kind of tell us a little bit about what the DC video shoot off actually is? Sure. So just for some background, um, the shoot off itself in photo form has been around a little bit longer than we have. Um, it falls under the umbrella of Visual Media One, which is run by a Navy veteran, uh, Johnny Bavera. So um, I always like to mention him because none of this would be possible without that umbrella of Visual Media One over the shoot off workshops. <sighs> There's always been a ton of training for photo, right? And uh, the photo workshop was a really great event. And us in the video world, before all the mergers happened in the early 2000s, were like, well, what about us? Like, where is our training? And this looks like a cool event, but this is not uh, a space where I'm going to learn more about video, right? And so we reached out to Johnny and we said, hey, um, what do you think about us putting together a video workshop? And Johnny was like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And so um, what was really cool is in 2011, um, the very first video workshop kicked off. Um, and that was thanks to not only Johnny, but Juan Femath, Anna Femath, and Blake Stillwell, who are still producers, um, Air Force veterans, um, and super passionate about the creative field in general, right? Um, so I think... It's important to, to say that the DC video shoot off is a space for creatives run by creatives focused on military storytellers and seeing how we can supplement their training to um, give them their op them opportunities to grow and learn in an environment outside of the box of the military. So what do they actually do during the course of the shoot-off, the participants? So during the course of the shoot-off, um, it's a four-day event. It starts on a Thursday. From Thursday through Friday, we have presenters from all sorts of spaces, um, professionals in the field, um, sometimes our sponsors. So Adobe will often speak, as will Canon. Um, we have folks from... Like sometimes we'll have some of the top tier military storytellers come in and do presentations or do um, demos. Um, a lot of times we've had opportunities to have hands on with things like really great lighting. 
or even editing demos. Um, so it really depends. Sometimes we try to focus the year on a specific thing. So that may be foundational storytelling, or it might be lighting, or it might be audio, right? Um, and sometimes it's just a little bit of everything. But it's an opportunity for participants to hear directly from creative professionals that are doing it now, um, what's going on, um, what's changed, what's new, and um, how they can implement techniques into what they do every day. Um, and then from there, after those first two days, um, the teams break out and they shoot a story. And that's based on a one-word theme that's provided to them that Friday. Um, and we always try to make sure we're in D.C. or close to D.C. adjacent so that they can hop on a metro. And we get some really great stories. Um, and we do try to we do try to let the folks know that we prefer them to stay away from military-esque stories if possible because that's what they do all day, every day, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to break them out of the box of um, feeling like they are confined to telling a story a certain way. Um, then they have 36 hours to shoot, edit, and then return um, their, their final video. And then they're judged by a panel of industry experts. And then they hopefully walk away with some some kudos and some prizes. So Very cool. Yeah. And, and Master Sergeant, what's it like being a former participant, staff former, mentee? So, uh, yeah, it's tough. So it's... um. It's really, really tough. So a lot of times it's it's what you get like in the military when you first arrive at a location um, and you kind of PCS or whatever, you go through that that situation where you're kind of especially like in deployments where you have that kind of storming, norming, forming stages when it comes to like team dynamics. So it's kind of like that, but it's a very small window where you have to get through all those stages if you kind of want to successfully navigate the specific workshop just from that alone, let alone trying to harness some of the stuff you've learned prior to that. So like being a participant, like my case, uh, the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle in general was um, immediately talking with my teammate. Uh, I think at the time it was just her and I. I don't think we had another person. We may have. Um, usually it's teams of threes and fours, but I think that year we may have just been both of us. But her and I deciding just at that time, hey, what are we going to do? Are we going to do something that's more documentary style, non-narrative things that we're used to doing in the military? Or do we want to do something more like production where we're actually like planning it, storyboarding, and it's all we get actors, we bring them in and stuff like that. That. So the biggest thing her and I needed to do that first night was decide what we were going to do. And we were pretty much throwing our like, you know, slamming our heads against a wall trying to figure out what are we doing? And eventually we figured it out. We were, we were going to do a production instead because both her and I never really did it. So we figured it was a perfect place to fail. That's like my biggest mindset is there's nothing there's nothing on the line. You go to this and what you do is just do something that's very challenging or hard. So that way, if, if push comes to shove and you fail, it's perfect. There's again, there's nothing on the line. There's no money on the line. It's just uh, there's no like commander's intent on the line. It's just let's figure this out. Um, and then beyond that, then it becomes just typical technical struggles of trying to produce a video in a short period of time um, and then sitting down to edit. And then in some cases, figuring out roles like the person on your team, are they going to like act? Are they going to kind of direct? Are they going to edit on the back end? Um, and then just dealing with certain personality like ticks that tend to happen. So um, from a participant perspective, it's really just you're involved in that creative process and also when you're dealing with a new team, just the struggles that come with it. As far as a mentor goes, biggest thing is in some ways trying to be a mediator when they're going through that um, situation because sometimes you just get personalities that just don't, um, they, they don't mix at all um, and really trying to mediate it. Um, also trying to keep the team on track when it comes to like timetables, understanding that, hey, you only have 36 hours and if you have five hours left and you haven't really import the footage yet or you're starting to change, there's probably a problem that's going to happen. Um, and at the same time,
same time, also like some of the challenges you see, because the teams aren't necessarily perfect. We get a <laughs> wide range of like skill sets. We'll get brand new, fresh people, and we'll also get really experienced people who are very confident in their skills. And then when you kind of mix those two up, sometimes there's an issue, or sometimes you'll get people who are overconfident in their skills, but don't understand that they're fairly new. And then you get a team that's just, there's no real experience there. Um, and then sometimes with how awesome like and diverse the federal government is and some of these participants that come in, we get a lot of like, we were getting some uh, Voices of America individuals in who they were from different parts of the world. So you also had some communication difficulties that you're trying to navigate as a mentor, trying to like deal with a team of three. And sometimes there's just, you know, there's just miscommunications constantly. Um, and then also understanding the challenges of workflow. Uh, when you come with a team, they're trying to edit, especially at that in years past. I mean, how many different editing systems, um, you know, have we seen as broadcasters or videographers in general, um, especially like 10 years ago, you were dealing with probably five, six mainstream editing systems. And you get someone that brings something in that you've never seen before. And they're like, hey, I want to edit on this, but you don't know how to navigate that as mentors. You've never seen. Um, and I can't remember the name of the software at the time, but it was something I've never saw before. And it, it wasn't Sony Vegas. It wasn't Premiere. It wasn't Avid. It wasn't one of the like legacy ones. It was something out of the ordinary. So you're dealing with technical challenges like that. So it's super challenging. But at the same time, it's super rewarding when you see that end product and it gets pushed through. Um, you see that, you know, the reaction both from your peers or the judges. Um, and also getting sometimes that hard feedback that sometimes you don't get at your home station because we're so just involved in getting things in and pushing things out. But you don't get that hard feedback from your commander or your PAO or your NCO at all because they're just like, hey, we got a product. We're pushing it out. Let's move on to the next one. Whereas at least in the shoot off, you get that feedback. And in some ways, um, was it unadulterated feedback that you need personally just to understand like, hey, this is where my faults lie and I didn't see it, but now I do. And you can kind of change and adjust and get better as you move and grow as a visual artist. So rewarding, but challenging, I guess, is the short answer. I love yeah. that you mentioned that it's a safe place to fail because I often tell people, I'm like, go, like if you go to the website, dcvideoshootoff.org, um, you can see all the years past um, the participants' entries, right? And they run the gamut, right? Like you'll look at some, and you'll, you'll see that it's very amateur, but that group is really pushing the limits for them. And then you'll see some that are incredible. And you're like, how did they pull this off in 36 hours? And it's really cool to see like that, um, that space. And, and yeah, it's a safe space to try new things. And I think that's really, that's really valuable, uh, especially for military storytellers, because they don't always get that opportunity within the confines of their everyday job. Yeah, for sure. And having that Peer feedback is incredibly important, I think. You know, and it rings different than the feedback that you get from leadership. Um, so it's nice to have both things, I suppose. What I've noticed over time is that the DC video shoot-off, it gives folks the opportunity to learn lots of different things, right? From industry professionals and from their peers in the military. But the one thing that you guys always focus on is good storytelling. What has made storytelling the primary focus for the DC video shoot-off over the years? I mean, I think it's foundational, right? Like you can't, um, you can break the rules, but you have to know the rules first. Um, and having that foundation is is really, really important. And I think that we we always consider that going in, like when we talk, like we're talking about this year, who are the speakers that we want to aim for? What do we want to have them talk about? And we're basing that on things like um, the feedback I'm getting from somebody like a Brad who who comes in and tells, because I've been out, I've been out of the service for a long time. Um, so I'll reach out to Brad and say like, what is going on in the service? What do you need? 
Um, and so that feedback has become invaluable. And I'll let Brad speak to that, um, what that looks like. But we we focus on, we try to focus on um, foundations and also the needs that we see that, that aren't being met or um, perhaps need to be uh, have a little bit more of a deep dive um, for understanding. So I'll let Brad speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so I've been in for 17 and a half years, and you see this shift that tends to happen. But um, overall, like as DOD and military, we want to be good stewards of taxpayers' money when it comes to what we do and how we do things, right? So when you know when I first came in, it was you generally had um, multiple career fields, uh, some on the visual arts side, some on the public relations or public affairs side. Um, and then over the last 17 and a half years, we've kind of merged all of these skill sets and all these career fields together that I think the last term I got, it was like 30 plus different skill sets within the kind of the umbrella of uh, mass communications, which is you know what we teach here at Dinfos is a foundational course. When that happens, um, and again, we're being great stewards with taxpayers' money, so we can do more or less, and it's, I guess, more with less in general. Um, uh, we can do that, and we, we can be efficient when it comes to doing the job. Um, but the problem is when you have that and you have 30-plus career fields for a single person, skill sets and fo- foundational skill sets, we'll say, just like storytelling in general, does end up... Um, Watered down. Yeah, like, I don't want to say, like, loses... It, it, there's some qualitative, like... Uh, qualitative elements that tend to kind of fall to the wayside when you have so many um, skill sets you have to pay attention to and so many demands from whether it's commanders or PAOs or NCOs that you have to do that it does get watered down. And it really is on kind of the NCOs to advocate for um, the junior enlisted and the PAOs to advocate for also the people that are underneath them to get them additional training so they can refine those very small skills that do get watered down because there is so much on their plate and so many skill sets they have to know. And that's really the true importance. And that's what really drives, I think, things like the shoot off or some of the advanced courses here at Dinfos is making sure that those, even though we call them foundational skill sets, you can still refine them to a point where it's just automatic. And that's really what we kind of want to focus on and push and to make sure you get those like kind of automatic responses where you know what you're doing and you can refine it and you can deliver you know, commander's intent or commander's message the right way. Um, But again, there is a need for it because we do have to there's an expectation with military members where you do have to know pretty much all 30 plus skill sets. But again, they range from graphic design to videography to public relations. Um, and it's it's tough. It's tough on everybody. So the fact that we can at least kind of focus on storytelling um, and it is a love for the individuals that run the shoot off. Um, it's a love for the people that like to participate in it, that mentor in it. Um, and it's really, really rewarding. Yeah, and it's and it's not just a fundamental school skill for video. Storytelling is a fundamental skill for everything that we do. Absolutely. So to incorporate it into what you guys do makes perfect sense. Can you guys think of any or remember any particularly memorable success stories that you've had at the DC shoot off or even with people taking their skills out into the field afterwards? I think it's important to mention like the DC video shoot off is not going to be the linchpin that makes you a big success in any way, shape or form, but it's a piece, right? It's a piece that we feel and we've witnessed is missing really in training generally. And again, and I know I keep saying the confines of the military, but the confines of government and like what you're able to do and the types of stories you're able to tell. And this, this is like, this is like free form breakout, like go do something that you cannot do um, anywhere else. Um, with people that know how to do it well and can walk you through it. And um, it's just a really, really cool experience overall. So it sounds like you guys have really refined the process down over time. Yeah, I think part of that too is because we've had people like 
Brad Sissons and Nick Kurtz's and Robert Hams and like people that that come into the shoot off. It's not we get a lot of people that really do know what they're doing when they come to a shoot off. Right. We get a lot of people that have been doing it for several years and they come in. Um, and even though they may be participants, they're also mentors in their own right within their groups. Um, and I think that's key, too. We have a, a wide range of experience in participants. Um, and so one thing we try very hard to do is participants beforehand fill out kind of a biography telling us um, where they've been, what they do, where they think they excel and where they think they don't. And we very deliberately try to pair groups so that they complement each other. And that's kind of that mentorship within the groups too, right? So, and we may even like, if we have a group that um, we just can't, we just can't make it work where we have a strong editor and a strong storyteller and strong audio, um, we'll try to pair a mentor that is really good in those spaces. So we very, we, we miss the mark sometimes. So we know if you, if you're listening and you're like, that's not, how it was when I came through. We know we try very hard, though, to make sure that we we complement um, the participants and the teams that work together. And I think that's that's also um, a big factor to the success. You know, it, having been in the career field for twenty plus years now, things change over time, and 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 we have to adapt and learn, right? What role has technology played in the evolution of the DC video shoot off? I think that's a very good question. <laughs> it's yeah, so it's tough. Um, I mean, not tough, but it's it's kind of like how we see kind of the video sphere, right? So, we'll say ten years ago, or a little bit over ten years ago, when it first started um, picking up, that was when uh, video became a capability for DSLR cameras. Um, and one of the great parts about uh, DSLR cameras is that the format in general it was so light compared to other. Um, cameras that we had, especially the legacy broadcasters who dealt with, you know, the 50, 60 pound cameras. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and I was one of those. I mean, I have back issues because of that. But when the DSLRs came out with this video capability and you had that nice glass that got paired with it, and not to mention the price of a DSLR compared to a video camera. I mean, at the time it was like a typical like news format camera probably could be between 20 and $50,000. But then you get this DSLR that's at the time 2,500 with some glass, like the whole total kit with glass audio, things like that was probably under $10,000. So when that happened, um, and I like at the shoot off, we really, it was, you know, some of the sponsors that came into the, the, the equipment to be like, Hey, you guys can use this equipment free of charge. That's what we're here for to help you guys out. And it really introduced a lot of videographers to the capabilities of these small DSLR cameras that had minimal footprint. Um, it was relatively inexpensive. And then the product that was produced was real, real. I mean, it was real slick video. Like it, it was just gorgeous, gorgeous video. Um, and it really kind of introduced it. So as far as like technology and the role it played, um, it really, I think, did change how um, the military like video community in general to actually adapted pretty quickly to something that we were seeing in this on the civilian side. Um, everybody kind of was on board. You know, 12 years ago, it was about that. But at the same time, we were still debating, you know, we were jumping from 1080, 1080 to like 4K, things like that. But then now in this day and age, we're really that conversations aren't, you know, 1080 to 4K. It's not ten technical ramifications. Now it's almost delivery method is different. So like me as a millennial, like I'll dabble with some YouTube. I really like Netflix, things like that. But on social media, like it's different. Whereas my kids or um, the new junior list that I'm getting in, this is Generation Y and they're or Gen Y or whatever they're called now, right? Gen Y, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Sorry. You know, there's, but I like watch my kids. They're fully, fully YouTube. Like they really rarely watch something like Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Um, they're fully ingrained with um, some TikTok as well. Things like that vertical video that is completely different. But from a technical perspective, or I guess technology wise, like 
I mean, it, you don't really need to shoot 4K in that anyways. You really don't need to have a good camera. It's just your phone, things like that. Um, even the like the microphones that they have, the real technological jump for them is not necessarily like a interface or even audio quality. It's about connecting to your phone and having like you really not having a cord that's, you know, uh, connected to them or even how inexpensive it is. So um, how that plays a role, I'm sure we'll probably end up shifting or we might see even different product this next year because we're getting more of these, you know, Gen Y junior enlisted in these Gen Y people that are getting hired with the government that are coming and doing it. So how they tell stories, we might even get some vertical video stories that's going to kind of throw people off. Um, not to say it's, you know, uh, better or worse quality, but it's just how you deliver that message. And that's honestly what I'm excited about to see the shift where, you know, before in the last decade was about, you know, good quality cameras or good, you know, um, color profiles with, uh, things or good, just crisp audio to now, how can we deliver a message differently? Um, that really resonates with, you know, a target audience you're looking for. That's, I don't, that's what I'm excited when it comes to technology and how it affects the shoot off. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a space where we can, we can just grow and shift and require different deliverables from the participants. Um, and we would also, you know, that that's a whole space where we'll consider bringing in different speakers that speak to that. For example, one of the speakers that we want to bring in um, is Alex Hollings of Sandbox. Um, and he does Sandbox News and he runs a very popular channel called Air Power. Um, he has over 6 million followers. Um, but he, he does that like fast, dirty you know, storytelling and sorry, Alex, I don't mean it's dirty. It's like very well done. But what's very cool about what Alex does is he pulls almost all of his footage from Divids. And I think that's a really cool opportunity for participants to see like what's being done. That's really creative. That's really well um, received and has a really big following and they're already doing it right. Like, so who is taking what they're doing and making something impactful? And I think that's a really strong space that we can explore too. Um, as we, you know, evolve and grow the shoot off. You know, it's interesting as, um, you know, technology grows, obviously things change with the, the way that we shoot. But one thing that I've always noticed is that the foundational video techniques always remain the same, right? You'll always need to white balance. You always need to think about your framing and worry about jump cuts and matching action and those kinds of things. But over the years, you guys having been so much closer to it, are there any trends in shooting or advanced techniques that have kind of come to the forefront that you've noticed over the years? There is a shift now. I, I do notice too that we try to teach, you know, stability with the camera. We do try to teach to make sure you have cameras on, you know, on the tripods, on the sticks. Um, but at the same time, like if you look at real good video now, a lot of times it's usually using gimbals, um, you know, <laughs> or nothing at all or nothing at all, which I generally like will always put some, I don't mind some smooth gimbals, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and you do want things on sticks, you know, interviews that are not you know, working. stationary really do bother me unless they're like true working interviews, which is still tough. But, you know, at the same time, um, I mean, even sequencing is getting a little bit, a little bit loose now. Um, nowadays, you really don't see that, you know, perfect long, medium, short. You usually it's more like I, I mean, you do get long, medium, short, but it's like less ma matching action. I do notice trends now that you really don't have that matching action anymore. Um, there are usually it's like glorified moving slideshows now, um, not entirely sure about it, but sometimes it looks pretty good with a little hua piece, you know, um, some explosions and some guns firing. But I mean, I think there's been a focus on trying to tell a story faster yeah. because of attention span. Right. And um, that makes sense. And so like while we're talking, my my gears are spinning on how we can implement that while still 
Um, Because I think there's a lot of value still in telling a full form story, right? Using all the foundations. But I also think there's a lot of value in learning how to take that and create something that is a quick hit that's going to get attention fast and is going to be a reel or is going to be a TikTok, right? Um, So yeah, my gears are over here spinning, thinking about how we can um, do both of those this I mean, year. Good audio, right? Like the really audio doesn't change. I would say like audio pretty much you need to have For good sure. audio. That's the one thing, even difference of like what my kids gravitate towards if they're watching like Mr. Beast on YouTube um, <laughs> versus like some, I don't know, some someone on TikTok, right? Uh, that Mr. Mr. Beast does for the most part use good audio and it still retains it. And I will say that they usually gloss over if it's bad audio where it's, they're picking it up from the phone and you're getting a lot of background noise and the vocal range is like kind of they're competing. My kids will skip right over it, but at the very least, like they'll gravitate towards that good audio without even realizing it. But at the same time, Mr. Beast does do a good job of like, like furthering a show along when it comes to kind of storytelling in his own way. But at the same time, that foundational just doing good audio using like good good microphones, I think is huge. And it does generally remain the same. I mean, yeah. And I think this generation too is a lot more savvy in regards to like recognizing filters and recognizing, you know, things that have been done to video. And I think that's, you know, something to consider too. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big question you asked and I don't know that we answered it correctly, but, um, I think we had a good discussion. About it. <laughs> I feel like you did. You know, <laughs> it seems like, um, you know, the the shooters have changed, uh, some of the techniques have changed, some of the trends have changed, and certainly the audience has changed, and the needs of the military has also changed over time, right? So how does the DC video shoot-off adapt to all of those things? I think that it's really important um, to still focus on the foundations. Um, those pretty much don't change. Uh, even even when short form, I think you still have a buildup and then you have that story arc and you hit that climax and then you, you, you tell them what you told them, right? You reiterate the message. And I think that still exists, um, even in short form, um, to get, to get a point across. Um, and I think we continue to focus on the strength of those foundations, um, regardless of the year or, or where we've come. Um, we do adapt to you know, increasing and new technology, um, which I think is, is big. Um, I've been out of the game for a long time. I don't do video anymore. I'm a full-time graphic designer. That's what I do all day, every day. Um, but, uh, I, I love this community. And so I continue to do this work. Um, but I have to tell you, I am intimidated, right? I can, I can talk you through what, what a good video is, but I'm not picking up those, those cameras right now and knowing what I'm doing. And that stuff is scary to me. And that's because so much has changed since I last you know, really picked up a camera. Um, and that's just the nature of it is we have to grow with the technology. Um, we have to grow with the products that are being put out. Um, and that's why, you know, we just need to adapt and change, but the tech is a big one that I think we've done pretty well at, um, in regards to like short form video, I think we can do better. Um, and I'd like to see us, you know, move in that direction. Um, maybe not completely, but as, part of a package is kind of what I'm envisioning, um, for, for future sh- shoot offs. You have more experienced people that kind of know like how to deal with challenges and they pop up pretty quickly because they've done it with that. But at the same time we do struggle and that's whether it's the shoot off or the military, we do struggle with listening to the junior enlisted, to the younger generation. We, we struggle to listen to it because it's the experienced ones where like, Oh, I know, I know this, I've been through this, but at the same time, like you can't 
adapt if you're constantly the experienced person for the most part if you're constantly listening to that one person because things do change so really like how the shoot off has adapted to it and i think how some military units that are really good at really communicating um in, in newer ways it's because they're listening to the, the fresh airmen that are coming out of dinfos and really harnessing it you have an airman saying hey like this is how at least i you know um, consume media. Uh, and this might be a good idea. And then you just, you listen to them um, and you try to take it into account. And if it's feasible, whether it's feasible economically when it comes to funding um, or if it's feasible from like a logistics perspective of just trying to, you know, do the shoot off, you listen and see if it's practical and kind of explore that, that path, um, especially in the shoot off where you do try to create an environment for people that, that can fail. That's the perfect time to really listen to the young generation and push forward. So like for me and how you stay current is just listening to that young, younger generation. Like you think you may know more from an experience perspective. And a lot of times you do. But at the same time, like that younger generation does have something to give and just always keeping your ears open and in some ways your mouth shut to just listen to them and see if you can adapt it. As you guys think back um, over your time with the DC video shoot off, what are you most proud of? I think what I'm most proud of about the DC video shoot off is that, um, it's resilient. Uh, we haven't had it for the past couple years cause hashtag thanks COVID, right? Um, 2020 was our last one and that was virtual and it actually went really well. Um, so this year we come back, um, <laughs> we never have a lot of money to work with. Um, everyone on the staff, every single one of us is volunteer. Um, we all work full time outside of that. Um, we do this because we think what this community does is important. We think that storytelling and doing it well, um, serves a greater good. And I am proud to work with people to make this happen, um, that feel that way. Like, I think that's really cool. I think this little, like this little space that we have within the DOD, you know, this little, like niche of storytellers and creatives and, you know, rebels. And I just, man, it's just such a cool space. It's not your typical military space. Um, and when you're in that space with fellow creatives, um, doing this kind of work, um, you feel that energy. And so, yeah, I think the thing I'm most proud of is that I get to do this with people that are passionate about storytelling and passionate about giving back to the community that gave so much to them um, and continue to want to do so. Um, and I think that's what I'm most proud of. The diverse nature of art in general and the video in general that brings everybody together, um, whether it's different backgrounds, uh, different generations, um, uh, just in general and how supportive an art community can be, especially a video community. Um, that's, I think, what I would be most proud of, at least seeing it where it was now to or where it was then to now um just saying that's kind of remained the same when it came to just inclusivity and making sure that it doesn't matter like if you're a new videographer it doesn't matter if you're an experienced videographer it doesn't matter you've been out of the military it doesn't really matter your background we welcome you everybody's welcoming you and we can just work together to figure out how to increase your skills and provide an environment where you feel safe enough to fail and continue pushing forward when it comes to your skills and then also being very like supportive of a passion as well um because that's that's the tough part about you know when you're working full-time um and you have a broad job like you know public relations and visual information is in the military in general um, is having that passion and, and, and a specific skill set and really training and honing it. And then, but also not being, um, I guess, judged for it to have that obsession or that passion. 
and uh, being a community where we can build that to me, I think is what I'm most proud of just kind of seeing it in general, um, both shoot off and um, military visual information and public relations. Um, are there any prerequisites or qualifications required to become a part of the DC video shoot off? Nope. And that's another thing that makes it a really cool space. I think we don't require a portfolio. Um, we don't even technically require that. I mean, now everybody's merged, right? Um, but it used to be that, you know, we had photographers and videographers. Um, we, we get a lot of photographers and that's really cool too. So you don't even have to be a video person, right? Um, while we also cater to the DOD specifically and active duty storytellers, um, we have been fortunate, and Brad mentioned this, this earlier, to bring in other government agencies occasionally. Um, and so I think that's cool as well. Um, so we've had folks from ATF. We've had folks from Voice of America, um, FBI even, I think. Like we kind of had people from across the government. So um, no, no prerequisites other than um, the desire to learn and um, uh, want to be there. And yeah, that's and the ability to get here, really. So so is the easiest way for folks to, to become a part of this to simply go to your website, uh, to reach out to you on social media? What's the easiest and best way? Sure. So we do have um, a DC Video Shootoff Facebook page. We also have a DC Video Shootoff Facebook group. Um, we have dcvideoshootoff.org is our website, and that is well re where registration will be posted. We will also be pushing um, to the Facebook platform um, when registration is open, which should be happening in the next week or so. Um, so, so yeah, the easiest way, um, and the way that most people see it is on Facebook somewhere. And also we have a few folks that are able to push out uh, emails to their organizations. Um, typically we'll push out a press release, um, but really it's mostly word of mouth and social media. Cool. Do you guys offer any follow-up support after the video shoot off is over or things that you do during the year or in between the events? So not officially, um, but I think that's where the strength and the networking comes in. Um, we, I, I would, I think that's probably one of the most important things to me about the shoot off is the ability to network, um, not only outside of your service, but with also other government agencies, with the sponsors, um, with the mentors and with the staff. Um, and we are all pretty, I haven't ever heard anyone say, please don't call me after this. Right? <laughs> like We're like, hey, if you need anything, please reach out. Like I could talk about this all day, right? Let me know what you need and I'll get you, I'll answer you or I'll get you the answer. And I think, um, I think the networking is the support currently. Um, like I said, we're all volunteer. We don't get paid to do this. So throughout the year, we're not, you know, doing anything formal. Um, but that's the dream, right? I would love to be able to do this full time. Um, and that would be very cool. Uh, but yeah, I think the networking is where we step in um, and offer continued support throughout the year. Did you experience that as a participant, Master? Um, yeah, I, mean, I guess the networking in general. Um, my, I don't know, my experience might be a little bit more unique compared to some other participants because I've I've known Maureen my entire career. She was my DINFOS instructor, actually, when we I We have went a through. story about that if you want it. Oh. I would love to hear it. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, oh, he hated me. Oh, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> I was just a young, dumb airman just full of probably like, you know, arrogance and just 
ignorance, like collectively together. And then uh, eventually I got to know her like through the shoot off and stuff yeah. like that and talking with her. And, um, you know, now, now she's like, if I have any, like anything, like if I just need to even just like de-stress <laughs> and be like, Hey, I'm stressed out about this. She'll be like, yeah. Otherwise, you know, it's just like, uh, from a, I guess like interpersonal professional, like working yeah. relationship of pushing products out, bouncing things off, uh, off the wall to see if it, you know, makes sense or sticks and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I would say follow-up support is really truly just the networking portion. Yeah, we are we are small, you know, generally. Uh, we are such a tiny piece of that 1%, right? We are we are very small, but we are everywhere. And so this is such a cool opportunity to um bring bits and pieces of those people that are everywhere together. Um because I mean, my first duty station, I was the only video person, right? So I had nobody to talk to and nobody to bounce stuff off of and nobody that I got to work with. And so you can do some growing in that type of environment, but it's not maybe the best type of growing, right? It's it's growing out of um, just purely having to survive, right? And, and do do something, right? Um, and so like an opportunity like this for, for somebody like me when I was an airman, um, would have been so cool, right? But it didn't exist yet. It wasn't around. Um, and so, and there are those, there are those pockets of single or, or two, you know, maybe two airmen or, or you know, um, sailors or Marines or soldiers, right? Like in these little pockets where there's, there's just not um, a lot of mentorship. And so um, this is just such a great space for that. Excellent. As important as uh, storytelling is not just to the DC video shoot off, but also our careers uh, and you guys being so intimately involved in that. Can you think of any one unique tip or something that would benefit those students that are coming in at a foundational level as it pertains to storytelling? Be open, be willing to learn. Don't be scared and humble yourself a little bit, right? You're coming into a space where maybe you do know more or maybe you don't. Um, in both spaces, you have to be humble, right? Um, if you're not humble, you're not going to, and you know it all, let's pretend you know it all and you come into this space um, without being humble, you're not going to really teach anybody. You're not going to pass any of that on. And that's what this is all about, right? This is about um, passing on the knowledge. And so wherever you are in your journey, you need to come in with a, a humble heart and um, a mind ready to learn and um, just be ready to be around people that are not like you. And that should be an easy one, right? Like that's where we're all, you know, most of these folks are military folks. Um, so that, that should be the easiest part that you might not get along with everybody and that's okay. But if you, if you walk in um, being ready for that, uh, I think you can be successful. Yeah, my biggest thing, like one tip I would give anybody that really is just trying to like kind of um, start off their career uh, in general is just find that passion, whatever it is. And I know we're talking about the DC video shoot off, um, but that's like with anything. I mean, to be honest, especially like on you're in the military, you're getting paid in some cases to be an artist. Like there's most artists are not getting paid to be an artist or barely anything. Um, so you're super fortunate in that context. But at the same time, there's it's so broad skills wise. Find that passion. Find find something that like just kind of like scratches whatever like professional or hobbyist uh, like itch you have. Find that passion and just dive down. Just drill down and s figure out like what that passion is, where it's coming from, like, um, and try to harness that. Because again, like, uh, I can't remember the adage, but it's like you know a little bit hokey when it comes to like um, find something you love so you don't never have to have, never to, have work. to work a day in your life. Yeah, that one still work. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But at the same time, like being in the military or even a government employee, it's tough on days because there's a lot of demands. There's a lot of things that's expected of you. Um, and sometimes it's not an environment you can fail in. It's very high pressure sometimes. But other days where you get to do that fun, passionate thing, I mean, you just earn a paycheck to have fun. Like just find that passion and keep pushing forward. Um, but I want to foot stop the like humble yourself. Like don't be young, you know, 20 year old Master Sergeant Sisson who thinks he knows everything when he walks into Dinfos and like, you know, just uh, just has that like negativity towards an instructor that ends up, you know, being one of, her friend, <laughs> being one of his friends later on in his career. Um, do try to humble yourself because uh, you do you don't you end up burning those bridges. That networking's tough. No one really wants to help you. Um, and, you know, you're also putting up a lot of blinders, too, in your life in general. So do try to humble yourself. Do try to be the person that's more open. But again, just find that passion and just keep driving towards it. So if any of our <laughs> listeners would like to donate their time to help you guys, is there any avenue that they can go about doing that? Um, sure. If a, if somebody wants to uh, be a participant or be a mentor or staff or just help where it's needed, they can reach out to us um, via Facebook at DC Video Shootoff. They can also um, head over to dcvideoshootoff.org where we have a contact form. Um, but yeah, we're we're all about bringing in fresh folks this year. Um, some of us have been doing this since 2011 and we're ready to maybe not necessarily completely hand off the reins, but to start bringing in um, newer, fresher um, ideas and thoughts and, and people that um, can really kind of bring us into the, the next generation of video storytelling and do it well, um, which is why Brad's here, right? Um, so we're looking forward to those folks that have um, one foot in the military and maybe, you know, one foot coming out and are ready to, to take on a project like this. So um, yeah, but we need people doing all the things. So yeah, feel free. You can message one more time on Facebook or um, hit us up at the dcvideoshootoff.org website. Awesome. One thing that we ask all of our guests when we come to the end of our interview uh, that is not related to the rest of your story is simply what does the Dinfos way mean to you? You know, we had a particular reason for naming the show that, and we always like to hear from our guests what that means to them. I think it's really interesting that the first thing that pops into my head isn't a great one, but it's going to lead to greatness. It's okay. Um, the first thing that pops into my head is um, I, I've taught so many different courses at Dinfos at this point. Um, and then you run into students at places like the DC Video Shootoff and they're like, well, don't do not do it the way Dinfos told you to do it, right? And you're like, why? What did Dinfos tell you to do? And it's all foundational. I'm like, no, you still need to do those things that Dinfos told you to do. Like, And I think there's an expectation, right? Like you go to a trade school or you go to a tech school for, for the military and you're, learn, you're learning, I'm making air quotes right now, radio, learning your job, right? Um, but your job is so much more than those foundations. And I think there's a, a misconception that you're supposed to walk into your training and leave and be able to do all the things. And that is not the case. Um, Dinfos is a space, um, especially... The Dinfos way, I think, is the foundational way. The Dinfos way is a space for you to um, get what you need to be able to leave and successfully grow, right? And that's how I view Dinfos, um, especially for pipeline students. Um, and I also think Dinfo, the Dinfos way is um, a way of caring and a way of care for the community. Um, it's a space where I don't, I'm sure there are some, but I have yet to meet somebody that's been an instructor here, uh, that said it was a bad experience, right? Um, 
DINFOs is a community. And I think the DINFOs way ultimately is, is about foundation and is about community. I think when I first got here, I was 19. Um, this first time I was, you know, I would say challenged. Like I, I did uh, like videography in college and stuff like that. But it was, you know, one course at a time, very, um, you know, slow, monotonous, um, very, you know, again, one course. Uh, but here, you know, as the four and a half months it took to go through it, it definitely challenged me in general. Um, and then every time I've come back for an advanced course or even a basic course that was kind of outside my skill set or wheelhouse, whether it was uh, PAXQ um, or uh, or broadcast manager's course, um, what really it, it like means to me in general is that it's just a way to challenge, even if it's not in your wheelhouse. It's a way to just kind of always pursue something um, growth-wise, whether it's professional um, or passion, uh, you know, kind of always challenging uh, yourself um, and always kind of broadening those skills. That's kind of what it means to me. It's just a, it's a, you know, brick and mortar school that is about challenging and broadening and keep, you know, pushing forward. Um, again, whether it's like internal or external mo motivating factors, it's just always there to kind of challenge you and push you forward. Thank you so much for your time, guys. I uh, really appreciate you coming by and talking with us. Joining us today was Maureen Stewart and Master Sergeant Sisson from the DC Video Shoot-Off. Uh, I'm Jack Rouse here for Dinfos. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>